Welcome back to the Movie Battle Podcast. This week, you've got all three of us. You've got myself, Nick, and Brennan, as we're breaking down uh, quite a bit. Uh, it's been a fairly busy couple of weeks with Disney Investor Day uh, last week, and, and now Netflix releasing a pretty buzzy new movie. And just as we head into uh, the last and pretty much only big week of this year in terms of new releases. Um, so let's just go ahead and jump in with some Disney stuff. Um, so Disney's Investor Day was the last week, and they announced pretty much everything. Um, just crazy amounts of new content for Disney+. Plus. Um, overall, it was biased a bit more towards TV, um, just with all the FX and Disney Plus shows that they've got in the works. Uh, but there was quite a bit coming out movie-wise. So they announced uh, one and a half new Star Wars movies, I guess. Um, so there's Rogue Squadron. Uh, directed by Patty Jenkins, which seems like it's going to be Top Gun in space, that kind of vibe. Um, and then an untitled, like, Taika Waititi Star Wars movie that used the uh, Star Wars logo from the 1970s Christmas special, which I think is just, like, <laughs> the weirdness you'd expect from that. Um, so <laughs> there was that. There was a fairly large slate of new Pixar, like a movie called Turning Red, about a girl that turns into a giant red panda whenever she gets too emotional. Um, they announced uh, just like more stuff with you know Ray and the Last Dragon, which is coming out, and their pricing plan for a lot of like Disney Plus movies going forward, and just a ton of Marvel stuff. So we have like Ant Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania. Uh, we have the Fantastic Four, which uh, is going to be directed by John Watts, which is coming up. A ton of TV shows like uh, Christian Bale was confirmed for Thor: Love and Thunder. More Doctor Strange news. Um, just a bunch of crazy stuff. And then Chris Evans will be playing Buzz Lightyear, the human, which the toy is maybe based on. Um, <laughs> there's just so much to get into here. <laughs> there's so much shit in this press release. It's kind of crazy. I feel like you read like 10 different articles and you don't get to everything that they've released. Like there's a few things that really just went underneath like, like the big news uh, swirl that we got. Like, I feel like the, Christian Bale news was kind of underneath a lot of other things, which is just insane. But um, yeah, I can't wait for Turning Red, the Pixar movie. That sounds amazing. It sounds really hilarious. You read the tagline and we'll watch it. We'll, I'm sure, be crying by the end in true Pixar form. Um, but all of this looks fascinating. I love that Taika keeps getting to work with Disney, even though I'd love to get him to do more what we do in the shadows movies, maybe just to like do 10 of those movies. I love that. <laughs> One of our biggest corporations is just handing over big properties to a lovable weirdo. That just makes me really, really happy. Um, but yeah, I think other than quantum mania, which is my favorite thing, we'll see if I'm sure the Ant-Man and the Wasp three will be just delightful, but that title makes me really, really happy. Uh, but I think the lead for me is that literally everything is going to be in this third Spider-Man movie. I know we already had, we've talked about it before, but it <laughs> it really does seem like they just keep adding little bits to it. And it seems like it'll just be everything upon everything upon everything that we've seen in all these movies and more. Yeah, for sure. I think you've brought up a lot of good, uh, interesting, interesting points there. Spider-Man, of course, looking wild. But for me, uh, I want to go back to Pixar as well. Um, the Lightyear movie there with uh, Chris Evans is going to be interesting. Uh, I, I was initially kind of turned off by it, but you know what? I'll let them do their thing because, as you said, Turning Red does sound pretty interesting. And then they also uh, revealed that uh, one of their films, Luca, is coming out in June of 2021. So that's not too far from now. And uh, about a coming-of-age story about a boy in Italy named Luca. I, I don't know. That sounds like 
a Pixar movie I'd rather watch over Lightyear, personally, uh, even though we don't really know anything about it. But um, I'm just excited that they're still going to keep the balance of original Pixar films as well. Yeah, I think for me, the thing I'm honestly most excited about out of that lineup is the Fantastic Four uh, re-reboot. Um, just because, like, that's such a weird part of the Marvel Universe. Like, they're just, like, in, like, the the, the comics for the Fantastic Four, like, especially in the 60s, are just, like, this really trippy, like, very cosmic, uh, like, just vibrant world of them just kind of being weird. Like, they're just doing sciencey stuff and, like, punching things as a team. Um and it'll be nice to see like Disney actually want a Fantastic Four franchise. Uh, Cause even like when the, the 2015 one, like Disney was just killing all the Fantastic Four comic runs and like stopped making new stories to try and kill the movie. Um, so it'll be cool to see it like back in the hands of, you know, the people that kind of have the greater scheme for everything. Um, I just, it seems a little odd that like John Watts is directing it. So just kind of talking about Spider-Man, like he is, you know, he's directed the last two Spider-Man movies, which I think have both been very good. But I feel like as far as Marvel directors go, he's kind of the least talked about. Um, like, I just I don't get that kind of trippy, like spaced out uh, Fantastic Four vibe from him. So it'll be kind of interesting to see what he brings to the table, because um, I mean, like as far as the last two Spider-Man movies go, I mean, they've been like pretty basically directed um i guess is kind of the best way to say it you know like you talk about like thor ragnarok which very much feels like something that only taika watiti could do and um you know even the russo brothers like have a very distinct kind of tone they bring to this kind of thing so it's just interesting that like like hey we're gonna bring the spider-man guy into this it is interesting he's directing the third spider-man too right so he has that slate as well so it does seem weird, but when you think about it, like the Russos are off doing their Netflix stuff and producing, what is that movie they're coming out with? The Gray Man, which has um, Ed, Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling in it. They're doing like their extraction stuff too. They're out. They're basically out of the MCU at this point. So other than Taika, and he's busy doing Mandalorian and other Star Wars things, they really don't have that, that director who, I mean, they have Feige who oversees all this stuff, obviously, but they don't really have that director who's returned to a lot of their stuff at this point. I guess you have James Gunn coming back, but I feel like I always felt like the guardians have kind of been their own separate thing that um, other directors have done a really good job and kind of bringing into the, into the mix. Um, But I guess it's like Peyton Reed, but also the, the Ant-Man movies are also their own little things, even though they weirdly matter the most in terms of bringing more (laughs) to to the MCU, even though that everyone kind of just seems pleasantly happy with them and not too much more than that. So I guess they're, they're putting all their money into John Watts. I guess he seems like a guy who can shepherd two different projects. And both of these movies just seem crazy, like convoluted. So I guess he's doing something right. Or he's a very pleasant man to work with. Good for him. He gets the bag of money. (laughs) That's all that he should really care about. But it is interesting. They are putting on, they're investing a lot into John Watts. I mean, I will say like his first movie clown is about a guy that puts on a clown nose and then becomes like a killer clown. So like I trust him to like oh, that's right. I forgot to have some weird ideas, but it just it I don't know. It seems like kind of an odd choice um, for what, you know, at, at one point, not anymore because Marvel's like intentionally killed their own property. Um, but for a long time, like the Fantastic Four was Marvel's biggest thing. Um, so it seems it seems kind of odd that they're like, we're going to take our 
most favorite longest running property and just like hand it over to one of the directors we don't talk about a lot like this is kind of the thing i would have expected like taika or james gunn to be kind of the front runner for um because it's really up there out alley um but we'll see i mean i i think he's done a very good job with the spider-man movies like i'm, I'm not trying to trash his directing but it's just like a very different uh property he's taking on in the fantastic four yeah definitely it is interesting because I would say the best part of those Spider-Man movies are the the dialogue and when it feels more like a John Hughes movie. And I think he said as much where he tried to make those movies John Hughes-esque coming-of-age films that also have superheroes in them. And I think they're the best when it's just Tom Holland and Zendaya talking to each other. But he's really talented. I Yeah, I, I don't mean any ill will towards him either. It is just a very interesting choice. But um, we'll see. I don't know. It's It seems like they're... The MCU, especially with the year off, just because of the coronavirus and Black Widow getting pushed back, that they've they've probably had a lot of time to figure out their new course forward, um, and they've had a little bit of turnover there and stars leaving and whatnot. So, I guess he's the guy. Who knows? You know, I, I'm kind of glad uh, in a way. I think that they always needed a year off. I was kind of like that from once Endgame came out. I think they needed that year. They like I, I think the audiences needed that year and i think we got it here even if it's in a very bad uh, way but I, I think it's i think it might make things a little bit more fresh for them going into 2021 and definitely going into their their future films yeah um i i think it definitely like gives everybody time to miss the mcu and like really miss a lot of these characters especially before you get just completely overloaded i mean like you look at even 2021 alone, just how many shows they're going to have um, as well as getting like all these movies coming back into the rotation on top of it. Like we're just about to have, we thought we had a lot of Marvel content like the past three years, but we're just about to be slammed with it. Um, Cause basically like every other month next year, they have a Marvel show coming out on Disney plus. So it's, there's just a ton of Marvel we're about to have constantly. Yeah. And it's, I feel like this is the maybe not the culmination of a lot of things or maybe the path forward because obviously Disney has mentioned that they kind of want streaming to be their thing moving forward. And yeah, they'll still work in theaters. And for, for now, you really can't replace those billion-dollar grosses that they can get off a lot of their movies from theater uh, receipts on streaming. But they already have 86 million subscribers to Disney which is Disney plus, which is just kind of insane. Cause what we've are we just passed like the year mark for this service. And it felt like Netflix was, has been around for what, well, I don't know how many years longer than that, but that's just crazy to think about. And it's really just been based off of their brand. Cause they had, they had the Mandalorian, which people really love. And they had a few other things, but it's mostly just been like, Hey, we have the Disney catalog. And also we have all the Fox stuff now. And people came flying towards that, which is, Really, really impressive. So, mm-hmm. I mean, like Netflix has done a lot of good stuff with their big budget content that they've started to produce. And they've, since the days of Bright, <laughs> they've really figured out how to make a big budget movie of something like The Old Guard <laughs> and other things that are coming out. So, they've done good there. But Disney just was like, hey, like we have all this crap and you guys, everyone else out there can, can never even think about matching this, which is just, it's kind of nuts. I think they've, of all the reservations we've said in the past about like, Oh, why are they making us spend more money about Milan for Milan and all these other things? They've done a really good job at the, at this point. Yeah. Personally for me, looking at 
taken stock into how I've kind of treated Disney Plus. I've had it now for a year, and I I marathoned Star Wars once, and I think if just besides that, I've maybe watched four or five other things, uh, which is kind of sad. Um, I share it obviously with my uh, sister, but uh, this is, I mean, for me, I think I just need to work to maybe get, like, I don't think I've really had a, had kind of the urge to go and binge Pixar movies uh, or, or Disney movies. Um, and, and I haven't really even had an urge to look at any of their new shows that they've thrown out there. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. For me personally, I don't know if the year was worth it thus far. I did renew it like a like a sucker i am but uh because i gotta watch soul pretty soon but you know i i do hope to get more into disney plus but looking at that subscriber count that you said they run 85 million i don't know how much higher they can go i mean obviously they can grow but i don't know where the ceiling would be for them um i know netflix is just about to pass 200 million um which is pretty interesting but yeah it's it, it is impressive though 85 million in a year is is quite impressive I think they've done Even a really good like job. Me and they've watched maybe five things. Right. Yeah. And I've, I'm the same way where I think I only got Disney plus through the, the Hulu and ESPN plus bundle. I think that was actually a really good job on their point just so that more people would have it off the bat. Cause I really like Hulu. I think they do a really good job with original stuff and they had like stuff like the happiest season and uh, Palm Springs come out and they do a lot of good stuff with neon. All their movies end up going there. So I like Hulu a lot, and I basically really only got that bundle because I was like, ah, I would have paid this amount for Hulu anyway, so now I have Disney too, so cool. But yeah, I, myself, I don't really use it much at all. Um, but I think they have done a really good job because, like I said, they, don't, they didn't really have any new stuff come out. Um, so they've done a really good job of having, like, your Mandalorians come out this, in this time frame, and then just as you would have people who are going to, uh, just cancel their subscription. They have something else new pop up. I think they've really done a good job buying their time until they could get a lot of these bigger things into production. So I feel like we still have yet to see their full power, maybe. And I feel like with stuff like the MCU and Star Wars, it's like people have a feeling that they have to see these movies. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't really care. I mean, I'll watch them because I guess it's my job. <laughs> I don't have the same crazy excitement for a lot of these things that other people do but there are so many people out there who feel like they need to see these things so i think yeah i think their subscriber count will only go up from here yeah um that so we i don't know if we did speak about it but ray and the last dragon obviously march 2021 that's going to be a hybrid release theaters and disney plus um and then the next film that they have that's just pure theaters right now is is black widow is that may or june uh Uh, may yeah, so that right now is listed as just a theater release. I think they're going to probably, they're, you're going to have to wait and see how things go, but they might have to change that. Um, but, I mean, we do have the vaccine now. It's rolling in. I think, what, hundreds of thousands of people have now gotten it in North America, which is good. Uh, so, I mean, I hope we see those. I mean, it's a long rollout for sure, but I hope we see the effects uh, kind of in the, in the several months to come. Yeah, and and I think it's also interesting that, you know, Disney Plus is kind of the only new streaming service that's really succeeding. Um, so, like, CBS All Access is having to, like, drop the CBS part of it and become this big, like, Paramount hub, um, which I don't know many people that are going to be like, ah, Paramount, that's that's the company I need to get the streaming service for. Um, 
but then even like HBO Max was just far below expectations. And meanwhile, they're just pumping a ton of money into the Snyder Cut. Um, and really, like Disney's the only one that's pulling in a lot of customers right now. So I think it's important for their continued success that they really amp up content like they're about to in this next year. So you mean to tell me that you aren't interested in getting Paramount Plus and watching all of the Transformers movies? Uh, like well, a- when you put it that way, uh, <laughs> bold of you to assume I don't already own all of them on every format. <laughs> on their Criterion Blu-rays. <laughs> I didn't have any, so I made my own. Oh my god. It is... <laughs> I almost missed that. That's funny. Um, but it is interesting, too, because we have next week, HBO Max are doing their big thing with Wonder Woman 1984, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it because it looks really delightful. And then Disney Plus is like, fuck you, we have Soul coming out, which is one of the more, like, one of the biggest, most anticipated Pixar movies of the last few years. And I've seen it, and it's amazing. So, like, every time HBO Max tries to do something, I feel like someone else comes in, they're just like, nah, sorry, sorry, little kid. And they pats him on the head. (laughs) Like, you're trying your best, but we're doing a little better over here. It's, It's crazy. Yeah, like, Disney's just flexing because they can. Our over our overlords are coming for us, and we just need to accept it at this point. <laughs> we'll have three companies. <laughs> Ten years from now, we'll have three companies, and it'll be Disney, Amazon, and, I don't know, maybe Apple. And then that's it. But, yeah, that is Disney Investor Day 2020, which was just quite the news fest. Um But enough about this billion-dollar company. Let's talk about a different billion-dollar company, Um, and that is Netflix, which is still pretty Christmassy in terms of their top ten list. So I'm going to go ahead and run through that list real quick. So number one was Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. The number two spot was A California Christmas. Number three, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Number four, Braven. Number five, The Christmas Chronicles 2. Number six, Ava. Number seven, The Christmas Chronicles. Number eight, Guest House. Number nine, The Prom. And number 10, Peppermint. Uh, Still hanging in there at number 10. Um, But yeah, Ma Rainey is kind of the big one for the week. You know, this is a release for them. Sorry, something that they've distributed. Um, This is something that's just been really buzzy um, ever since the first viewings of it. Um, This is something that I really have yet to hear a bad take on um and it's it's here um so this is also chadwick boseman's final movie um his final performance um he does have like some voice roles in some of the upcoming uh disney plus shows but this is his final live action performance that he filmed before he passed away earlier this year um and it's definitely his movie um so you know viola davis plays the titular character she does a phenomenal job but this is chadwick boseman's movie um, and that's just from a writing standpoint with his character and just from a performance standpoint, because um, he is he is doing a lot with a little um, just in terms of, you know, what this is. So this Marini's Black Bottom is based on a play by August Wilson. Um, he also wrote Fences. So it feels very similar to that just thematically um, and just in terms of the dialogue as well. Um, and, and my real my only real complaint with this movie, which I, I very much enjoyed, is just that it still feels too much like a play. Um, it just feels very static at times. You don't really get that dynamic exploration of the setting and the space that they're in. 
um, that you really expect from a movie. It feels very much like a play where, you know, you're <laughs> one character steps out in front, delivers his lines, and then the next character steps out in front, delivers their lines. Um, but I think the script is just phenomenally, phenomenally tight. And I really, really like this movie, but um, I don't know if I ever really got pulled into it because of that kind of disconnect and that feeling of still being a play that it has the whole time. Yeah, I still haven't, I haven't had a chance to see this and I really need to because, yeah, it's Chadwick Boseman's last time on screen. And by all accounts, it it seems like he's probably going to get Best Supporting Actor. I mean, from what you said, it sounds like it's he should be a Best Actor um, candidate, but they'll probably do some category rejiggering to make him Best Supporting and he'll win by a landslide. I feel like there's always one of those every year. Like, like Brad Pitt last year, who was like, yeah, <laughs> as soon as Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, they were like, oh, yeah, he's going to be Best Supporting Actor and he's going to win. And there was just no question about it. And I feel like that's going to be the same with Chadwick this year. Um, but it is interesting that you uh, brought up Fences, too, because I feel like I felt similarly about that movie where I really, really liked it. and I loved everything that it was going after. It was really good. Denzel directed that movie, too. But it, it did really feel like a play where, OK, I've had my monologue. Now it's time for your monologue. And now Viola Davis is is uh, just like snotting out of her nose and it's really <laughs> really really heartfelt and really good um so i feel like i might feel similarly about this movie but it's it's definitely one i want to check out i mean you got to it's chadwick boseman's last movie what a legacy he's left behind and uh it sounds like he's just terrific in it so that's kind of all i need yeah you know i always think about that when i when i watch movies that i know are uh you know, kind of adapted from a play or uh, kind of based on a play there. And there was one recently this year, because I haven't seen this movie yet, so I'll kind of tie it into this, but The Father with Anthony Hopkins that I watched at TIFF. Um, that's a movie that I was, uh, like it started, and I saw it started as based on a play, and I was kind of nervous to, to, to maybe, uh, maybe the movie would fall into that, as you were speaking, kind of monologue after monologue. But that movie really never did. I think it transitioned really, really well, so I'm definitely excited to... Uh, check this out i mean how can you not watch it as well as you said so i'm glad to see it's number one as well much better than uh mank did yeah (laughs) and i think like the other thing with this movie is because it is based on a play and i'm assuming pulls a lot of dialogue just because of how much how monologue this movie is pulls a lot of its dialogue from a play it's hard to differentiate like what is really great about this because it's a movie and what is really great about this because it carried over from the original work but yeah i just just don't feel like they really use the space very well so this this play and the movie takes place over an afternoon in a recording studio you really only see about two rooms of the recording studio and you really get like very one-dimensional looks at them just like an audience would look at a stage is what it feels like um and so it just doesn't ever pull you into like justifying itself as a movie um and a lot of the things that bothered me about hamilton earlier this year um still feel a little bit present this is obviously a lot better because it's shot with the intention of being a film and and using takes and you know setting up camera angles which the hamilton recording did not um but but i think the complaints are still fairly similar in that yeah i'm fascinated to see how the discussion around this movie progresses because coming out next week is kind of a very similar movie just in terms of theme. And it was also based on a play that's one night, one night in Miami, which I think comes out in very limited theaters before coming on prime in January sometime. But 
that movie's very much the same, where it's a play and it's based on a meeting that happened in, I think, 1964 after Cassius Clay became heavyweight champion of the world between him and Malcolm X and Jim Brown and Sam Cooke. Um, the movie's really terrific. I recommend everyone like put it on their watch list because it's really, really good. But it's the same thing where it's these four people that are basically in a hotel room for an hour and a half having conversations about um, how they should move the black, uh, black people forward and how they should come together and how they like should represent themselves as important, powerful men. Um, so I'm wondering if there's going to be some kind of like um, bias where One Night in Miami comes out later and we all kind of flock to that one or if like it's the other way around because this one came first. I'm fascinated because I feel like a lot of this, it's probably not in good form, but I feel like a lot of people might lump these two movies together somehow. And they're both really looking to be uh, awards contenders. Yeah. It'll be interesting, too, just to see if maybe they target different uh, kind of below-the-line awards, potentially. I know, obviously, this movie, Marini's Black Bottom, kind of revolves around a singer, right? So you might get into some sound categories there. But, um, yeah, you're right. I think that's definitely going to be something we should look at over the next few weeks. I also want to give a shout out to Taylor Page, um, who is a supporting character in this movie. And uh, Nick and I saw her earlier this year in Zola, uh, where she plays oh, the great. titular character. Uh, it was nice because I'd only seen her in Zola. She hasn't had um, very many larger roles as far as movies go. So it was it was nice to see her um, in a less chaotic movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, can't for, I can't wait for people to see that movie. I totally forgot about it. It's been so long. <laughs> Um, and then Coleman Domingo uh, was actually also in Zola and then again in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Um, so it was just nice to see that little gang back together. <laughs> um, it's the Zola gang that everyone <laughs> that everyone <laughs> talks about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like this, this was a very good movie. Um, the dialogue just really keeps you captivated uh, most of the time. This is one of those movies that I think successfully breaks the show don't tell rule um and is is a primarily tell movie um but bozeman really tells it so well that you're kept in just like glued to your seat the entire time um so i i would definitely recommend checking this out and it's only an hour and a half so we love hour and a half movies that's i stand hour and a half movies on this podcast they're amazing <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that is Mar Rainey's Black Bottom, and then we will scroll down the top ten list a little bit. Um, I would like to point out that there are no Illumination movies on it this week. We did it. Uh, it's just Christmas is choking it out. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no Illumination, but The Prom is at number nine on the Netflix top ten list, and Nick was just raving about this, so I will... <laughs> <laughs> I feel slightly bad for this movie because when it came out, there was such a negative reaction to it at the front. And I can kind of see why. So this is um, based on the play of the same name, and it's directed by Ryan Murphy, who does everything on Netflix now from your unnecessary origin stories for Nurse Ratchet to, I don't know, The Boys in the Band, which I think he was also involved in, to... Basically every other show, I can't remember. Oh, the politician show, which looks terrible, but I haven't watched. <laughs> so he's just like, he signed that many, many million dollar deal with Netflix a few years ago. And he's just been cranking out content for them. And so this is the latest one. And it's a, 
it's a prom. It's well, it is a prom, but it's a it's a movie that stars Meryl Streep, James Corden, uh, Nicole Kidman, Keegan Michael Key, Andrew Reynolds is in there, um, Carrie Washington too, um, a ton of people, um, and it's about two Broadway stars, uh, who are Meryl Streep and James Corden, who got really bad reviews on their most recent play, and their, their play was actually based on the life of Eleanor Roosevelt, which I just thought was really funny. <laughs> but um, these two, they're like, hey, like they're the most, they're the caricature of the person in show business who wants to seem like they're doing good in the world. So they're like, oh, we'd had really bad reviews. So we need a cause to help our brand. And so concurrently in this a uh, small town in Indiana, there was a PTA meeting um, who Kara uh, Washington runs the head of the PTA and they decided to cancel prom because one girl wanted to take her girlfriend to prom. And so these liberal elites from New York come to this Indiana town to try to get them to reopen prom again. Uh, and it's, so on its face, I can see why people just didn't like it because it's, it's very hammy. It's very much, it's, thudding you in the head with what this movie is about. Um, but also, I don't know, like, I'm, I, think, I feel like this movie has very good intentions and it's sweet and cute. So I really can't get mad on it, even though I don't think it's particularly good. Um, it's very annoying <laughs> and over the top at times. Um, I really just don't like Ryan Murphy as a director. I think this movie just looks terrible and the direction isn't particularly good. Um, and I can't really sing you a, I don't want to sing you a tune right now but I couldn't <laughs> if I, I couldn't if I even tried to because I just don't remember any of the music in this movie um, so basically the way I look at it is that it's just an overly sentimental movie that has very good intentions but it just is just very heavy-handed and it just isn't come like together particularly well um, but yeah a lot of people hate this movie a lot more than I do so I don't know it's like two hours and 12 minutes so like the nine, the ninety minutes we talked about. Maybe just walk, watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom instead. <laughs> but um, yeah, this movie isn't particularly good, and James Corden's terrible in it, as you may have heard. And <laughs> uh, my, in my never-ending hatred for James Corden <laughs> as a movie performer. But um, I uh, just don't, just don't watch this, guys. There's better things on Netflix. It's just, it's fine. It's not as bad as you've heard. It's also not particularly good. So. I don't know. Skip it, maybe. Who knows? So uh, check out The Prom. Highly recommended. <laughs> uh, you won't just have a good time. You'll have a great time. <laughs> I love my uh, monologues. And then Colin just comes in with this sly remark. I feel like is just like the cornerstone of this podcast now. <laughs> it's a staple. It's a true staple. <laughs> um, you can also watch Peppermint, which I guess is like a holiday movie. Because um, candy canes, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's uh, terrible, yeah. by the way. Just want to throw that in there. <laughs> that is uh, the Netflix top ten. Nothing, nothing too crazy this week. Um, at least you know, no big shakeups or anything. Um, and then we're also going to talk about some recent releases and what we've been watching um, on our own. So Nick, you've been watching Small Axe. Uh, what do you like about that? Um, it's really, really good. Uh, so this is this is a weird case where so these are all to, it's a collection of films from Steve McQueen, and they're all on Prime Video, and they're going up for Emmys because I guess they're 
considering them, I don't know if they're considering them a TV show or like a TV movie, but it's, it's a collection of five films that some people are calling episodes, but they're not all in any way related except for the themes in them. Like there's no characters that go in between all of them. They're just, I see them as movies and Steve McQueen also sees them as movies. So I'm treating them as movies too. And they're incredible for the most part. So there's five films here and they all range basically at their shortest. There's like these thick, there's a few that are like 60 some minutes long. And there's the, the first episode uh, mangrove, which is in all for all intents and purposes, the better trial of the Chicago seven to come out this year. Um, that movie is like two hours and 12 minutes. So it just runs the gamut of all these different things. And it follows um, a group of uh, Jamaican, I think it's West Indies um, uh, immigrants in London throughout the sixties and seventies. And it's a great immersion into a way of life. And you get really, there's some amazing accents in this movie. I had to watch the, I had to watch it with closed captioning on. Cause I just, it's, uh, it's sometimes really hard to understand everybody, but they like the way they talk is so cool and so interesting. Um, but yeah, I would recommend all these movies. I feel like I don't really want to go into all of them. Cause that would, you'd hear me talking for an hour straight. And I, I know even <laughs> you guys don't want to hear me do that. <laughs> so I'm sure no one else wants me to do that. But I'll just say that Mangrove and Lover's Rock are two of my favorite movies of the year. Um, Lover's Rock is basically just a 65-minute house party. It's incredible. It's it's so, so good. And it makes me just, like, really want to be able to go outside and <laughs> go to a party at, at someone's house with a bunch of my friends and just live life. Um, so those movies are really good. And I recommend the others, the other three as well. It's uh, Red, White, and Blue, which is a, a movie where John Boyega tries to join the police force. Um, there's another one called Alex Weedle, which is probably my least favorite, but it's also pretty good. It's about a writer who's coming into his own, who um, grew up in um, in London and doesn't really know much about his roots. So he's learning about that and coming into form. And then the last one, which came out this week, was it's called Education. And it's about um, a kid who gets sent to a special school because he's not very good at reading and shows how the, the school system basically just gets rid of um, what they conceive uh, or conceives problems and gets them out of the system and doesn't really care about them. But so all these movies are really good. I recommend you watch all of them. And yeah, some of them might be your favorites of the year. So the prom. (laughs) I hate you. (laughs) Did also see the uh, movie to save cinema um, this past week. So uh, man, just throwing it all to Nick. um, Oh my God. (laughs) I need to be hosed down after this. Um, I saw Tenet, finally, um, and it was fine. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Move on. Um, no. Um, it's funny because I watched this movie. I think we've I've made my reservations about Chris Nolan. Uh, I'm, on a first, I'm on a shortening of the first name basis with him. Uh, but I feel like I've made my thoughts about his movies known where I don't really like a lot of the ones that people really, really like. Um, so I always have a little bit of apprehension now when I go in to see a Christopher Nolan movie. Christopher Nolan movie. Um, and I watched Tenet, and I literally had no idea what was happening. Uh, not only that, it's convoluted. You can kind of, I guess we'll, we'll go into spoilers at some point in the future about this movie, maybe, when the world has seen it. It just came out on VOD this week, so maybe a good amount of people are getting the chance to see it. But um, yes, it's convoluted a little bit. Um, but just I feel like the sound mixing issues <laughs> have been like so well documented where I feel like 
every scene, I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> and it wasn't because it was too confusing. I just had no idea what people were saying. Um, so I kind of had a negative reaction to it at first. And then I watched it again yesterday. Uh, and I was a little more positive on it. I still have my reservations about it. I still think um, Elizabeth Debicki's character is just like horribly written. And I think that's just another another one in a long line of Nolan uh, women characters who are just poorly written and or like they just die because he kills a bunch of female characters in all of his movies that are wives or girlfriends. It's very, very concerning to me. Um, but I thought it was really fascinating. I think that's it's one of these weird things that might get better uh, the more times you watch it because I kind of feel like it is one of those movies where if you watch it once, you're kind of like you're not doing yourself the best you could do because I feel like once you know what's happening, it everything just makes way more sense and all the action scenes just make far more sense and you can just like marvel at how amazing some of the action in this movie is because it's probably the best christopher nolan's ever done in that sense he's come a long way since that fight in the dark knight rises where i don't know if you guys have seen this but there's if you zoom in on like the top of the skyscraper fight that batman has and when bane shows up and then him and catwoman fly off in the in the Batcopter or whatever the thing's called. Um, like there's just like stunt people in the background who are falling down because like someone mistimed <laughs> something. So like they're like pretending to get hit and nothing's there and it's really funny. Uh, but he's come a long way since that because the action in this is just incredible and probably some of the best stunt work I've ever seen, maybe. So yeah. Ten. Uh, uh, <laughs> John David Washington, man, he's got the swag in that movie. He's I, I love him. Yeah, in that he's, movie. I like him. He's a uh, well, because he's a he's a former athlete. He played college football, so he's super mm. athletic, and he's he's amazing in all of the action sequences. Yeah, I feel like yeah. it's like I mean that character is literally called the protagonist. So yes, it's underwritten, but um, like I feel like he brings so much more to that than other people could. And Robert Pattinson's also amazing in that movie. I think he might have been my favorite part, other than the action. Yeah, honestly, I've been I've been listening to the score for a while. There are like a few tracks on there that like I like to play when I drive. It's pretty good. It's good. <laughs> Are you it's also good. driving backwards? <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. Maybe driving a bit too fast, honestly. But <laughs> yeah, Ludwig Ludwig Granson's score is really, really good. Um, it, you know, it definitely feels a little bit different with um, Hans Zimmer being gone, since they're the usual duo. But like, the score is really strong. I feel like it's kind of he took a Nolan score and then just like like he's doing like the the stuff where it sounds like it's moving backwards, which is really, really cool. And it works with everything going on. But it feels like he just like took a Hans Zimmer score and like dipped it in drugs. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. And that's the end result. Like it feels really, really cool. So there's like that one say. scene. Yeah, there's like that one yeah. scene where they show the big plane and like the, there's like the the few bombs and I'm like, ah, this is like inception <laughs> on like, like this is like next level inception, you know, like it was just so overbearing loud that I almost, like, it was kind of fun. <laughs> so it yeah. is really good. I, uh, I've been saying since it came out that the movie just reminds me of like a, like a house James Bond, like house music, <laughs> James Bond, dubstep James Bond movie or something like that. Cause it is, it's kind of like, it's, it's a little bit more techno, I think than James Bond movies and the music is, is like that. And it's, it's going for that element a little bit, um, uh, but yeah, I, I I do enjoy the score quite a bit. I think it's it's quite good. I remember watching it in IMAX in August, and that was wild on the ears. The seats were rumbling. 
Yeah, I just remember watching it in the Dolby and like the music, the sound effects were great. I just was like straining to hear any words anytime there was even a drop of water on screen. It was just un- indiscernible. <laughs> I watched it as Christopher Nolan intended with my computer hooked up through an HDMI cord to my television in my apartment. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> I still couldn't even understand everything. And the thing I was using at work, uh, using it through just didn't have closed captioning. So I, I sometimes you have no idea. Uh, but I feel like the second time I watched it, I understood a little more. Just like, not not in just in terms of the plot dynamics, but what actually people were like saying to each other. And there's one scene where, I, I don't think this is spoiling anything, but there's one scene where Robert Pattinson is, is like yelling through his mask. And it's like, he's like, it's, he yells something like this. It isn't clear. And I thought that was like the funniest thing I've ever heard in a movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Speaking directly for me. Yeah. <laughs> so that is Tenet. Um, or to say it backwards, Tenet. And <laughs> so, so uh, Brennan also checked out some stuff this week, including a, uh, a, a very unique movie. Um, I, I don't really know like what other one word descriptor you would give it, uh, but if you want to talk about that movie, when you when you opened up to Nick uh, to Nick's point on Tenet and you said the movie that saved cinema, I thought you were turning it to me. You, you were turning it to <laughs> me with, uh, with this one because uh, Sausage Party really was that back in 2016. I think it was a dark age, hundred years or so for cinema, uh, maybe since Charlie Chaplin, and then this comes out and it changes the game. Um, I've never seen this. I remember the trailer came came out like a year before, uh, and I was like a little bit younger. Um, and I was like, "Damn, this thing's going to be awesome!" And then uh, it came out. I wasn't interested anymore, and I just never saw it. So I was bored the other day, just popped it on, and it is so weird, so stupid. I mean, I, I don't know what I was expecting. I was expecting it to be pretty dumb, but it is uh, the puns. Too many puns for me. Too many food puns. Too many pop culture puns mixed with food and it just it was too much too many orgies <laughs> too not too many you mean not <laughs> enough my <laughs> friend <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> i saw this uh, so i worked at the movie theater when this came out so i saw this at like one in the morning um with all the other employees and man just like you really grow with people when you just like watch that orgy scene unexpected. Um, like it's just <laughs> what a movie. Like it's just every time the hot dogs are on screen. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, just like I've only seen that movie once, but those images are just burned in my brain. It's just <laughs> it's just there. It's never gonna leave. Yeah. Um, yeah, I did. Um, <laughs> um, I did sort of want to bring up one other thing though, because Sausage Party. I mean, I had to talk about it because I watched it. But when you guys were talking about the slate, the Disney slate earlier, Taika Waititi, um, I did remember I watched uh, Hunt for the Willer People this week um, for the first time. And that's a really good movie. Uh, it's on the it's on Netflix here, and uh, I got to check it out. Um, really good movie, and even just just past everything that that is done in it. Uh, narrative wise i really love uh seeing sam neill and something else because i don't really watch him in much besides jurassic park so i'm in peaky blinders a little bit um but yeah it's great to see him in in, in a movie yeah i'm also oh, a big 
Yeah, I'm a big hunt for the wilder people stand. Um, I well, what we do in the shadows is definitely my favorite Taika movie, but I think how we do our what, yeah, too many long titles. I think Hunt for the Wilder People <laughs> is his best movie. Um, like I, I love that movie, just Ricky Baker all the way. Yeah, <laughs> no, like it was Sam great. Neil. It was great for sure. I really liked it. Yeah, I feel like Sam Neill. Like he just like he just pops up and stuff now because he was so big in the '90s because he had obviously Jurassic Park and a few other things. But now, like he showed up in that Peter Rabbit movie, like the the CGI <laughs> rabbit movie. He was uh, old Mister McGregor in that. <laughs> and then um, wasn't he in Thor Ragnarok? He was one of the cameos in that too, right? Yeah, he played uh, fake Odin. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he just shows up and stuff now. And it's it's really funny. I feel like it's... He's kind of one of those things where, like... I feel like there's a generation of us who don't really have, like, the same... Like, you people just know him from Jurassic Park, so you see him pop up in something, and it's really, really funny. <laughs> but you're also like, why is he in this? <laughs> like, I still can't get over that he was in the stupid Peter Rabbit movie with my nemesis, James Corden, as Peter Rabbit. Uh, yeah, I also weirdly accidentally watched a movie with Sam Neill in it um, this week, just not expecting to. <laughs> um because I've been continuing my just like dive into the films of Sean Connery. Um, and Sam Neill is like his number two in the hunt for red October, which, so I, I watched a bunch of Connery movies that I know I'd seen as a kid, but I couldn't really remember. So I watched hunt for red October. I watched the untouchables. I did um, first night yesterday and they were all varying degrees of movie. Um, but yeah, <laughs> Sean Connery. Um, it's, it's just, it's especially funny in like the hunt for red October because there's a bunch of people playing Russians. Like Sam Neill is a New Zealander. Sean Connery is obviously very Scottish um, and they're both playing Russians, but like nobody in that movie is trying for a Russian accent um, until like the final uh, near the climax. They just like bust out some Russian dialogue real quick, but it's just like bizarre that you've got all these very non-Russian people playing the evil Russians. Um, but I think it's actually a pretty strong movie. Um, you know, John McTiernan's a pretty good director when it comes to that kind of action. I think the submarine chase scenes hold up really well, even 30 years later. Um, and then the untouchables kind of the same way, just that the uh, stairwell scene is just, just brilliant. Um, you know, I, I do prefer the version of it from naked gun three or 33 and a third, <laughs> um, but it's just such a tense scene. Um, and just like using a very small environment to just massive success. Um, and Sean Connery is just always a joy to watch. Yeah. It's kind of amazing when you can mess up a Russian accent so badly. And I feel like just no one cares because Sean Connery is just so amazing in that movie. Like the accent, he's not, he's like you said, he's not trying by like the second act of that movie. Like he's just full on, um, just doing his own voice <laughs> but he's still amazing in it it's kind of incredible it just shows how, how great he was god i miss him yeah i uh i still have a little bit more to go on my my connery uh list but he has officially become my top actor of 2020 according to letterbox stats so this <laughs> what's year next has for you for um i don't know i feel like i uh i want to get into some more coppola I'm uh, just like familiarize myself. Like I need to watch apocalypse now again. 
Um, so I don't know. I'll, I'll let the uh, I'll let twenty twenty one take me wherever it needs to take me. Maybe if you want to keep continuing with with Connor, you do the Highlander two, the quickening route. Maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I think I'll I'll pass. I wasn't a huge Highlander fan. I saw that. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I've ever seen a Highlander like a like a scene from a Highlander movie, but <laughs> Highlander two, the quickening is like one of my favorite movie titles of all time. <laughs> that movie is baffling because everybody in that movie is Scottish. Except for Sean Connery's character, who is a Spaniard. <laughs> so he's coming into the movie with the most Scottish accent of everybody in the movie. And then he's like this Spanish guy named Ramirez. <laughs> well, well, the man loved to get miscast, that's for sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's uh, just been watching lots of Connery. Um, I watched another movie with him where uh, it's weird seeing Peter Boyle not as an old man. Um, so I watch a movie called Outland and he's like a 30 year old Peter Boyle, Peter Boyle. And it just feels wrong. Like this man was never younger than 70. So why is he here? <laughs> There's a few people who are like that. Like Wilford Brimley is just always a 60 year old man to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like F Murray Abraham is kind of like that for me too. Like, I, I don't think he was ever very young. He's just been kind of that, like, somewhat angry old man his whole life. <laughs> he was born as Benjamin Button and stayed as Benjamin Button. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is, uh, that is Sean Connery and everything we've been watching this week. Um, we'll be back next week talking about Soul and Wonder Woman. Hopefully uh, neither of them get delayed any further. Um, and Christmas movies, probably. So uh, remember, you can always check us out online at moviebabble.com. Bye.